and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabbo's most nice and accurate work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Malafide 10.4. Um, and we talked about this last chapter. Blake has been engaging with Molly a lot, more so <laughs> than maybe he should have. Um, and he started to realise, hey, let's deal with Molly, she's becoming a problem at the end of the last chapter. But he has uh, failed to learn that lesson as he continues to validate her as she becomes more and more real. See, I, I didn't quite get the impression at the end of last chapter that he was like, oh, shit, she's getting more powerful. I thought it was more like curiosity because she brings up, um, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but she brings up something about wanting to warn the family. And Blake's mm. like, hold up a minute. Like, like, I thought it was more he doesn't want to leave because he's very interested in what's happening to her and maybe thinks he can get some juicy dates. Right. At least that was my thinking. Yeah, interesting. That's not how I interpreted it. Should we go back and talk? We've never talked about a previous chapter before, but let's let's do it. <laughs> Hold on, I'm pulling it up. Yeah, so me the, too. <laughs> the line is, um, Molly says, there are bad omens everywhere. I want to see the family. I have to warn them. I, I The line that sells it to me that he's worried about her kind of develop well no <laughs> she she even says he thinks she was developing a little too quickly for my liking i i think it i feel like my interpretation is right i mean you know there's no right interpretation of anything i don't think but <laughs> except in this case <laughs> um yeah okay that's fair i don't know i still think it, it's at least partially i don't know maybe it, it maybe it's just me mm. i was just like yeah blake we got to stay here we got to get all these dates on um and your what your your read kind of is a it gels a bit more with the start of this chapter where Blake definitely feels like he's grilling her for info on the family, um, yeah, which is nice. Um, and I really like we got this a bit last chapter, but it comes back again this chapter. Blake feels pretty hurt by Molly not remembering him. Um, last chapter he realized that of course she never called me for help because I didn't exist when she died, and this chapter he kind of winces when Molly says that Rose is next in line because he's, it kind of invalidates the friendship that he really feels like he has with Molly. Um, mm. And it, I realised it pays off that beat back in arc four or five when he says to Paige something like, oh, yeah, you, me, and Molly were always so close, and Paige is, like, a bit confused by that and doesn't mm -hmm. feel the same. I, I That literally only just occurred to me why that is, <laughs> is because they weren't close. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I sort of had the same realisation a few days ago. I was reading the the... Well, so listening to the packed audiobook, uh, and it just covered chapter 4.9, which is where right. Paige comes yeah. in, and they have that conversation. And it was just listening to it now, I was just like, oh, that's why <laughs> she, like, ah. I love that. Um, so, yeah. That, save that one for deep in deep impact for sure. It's um, a good yeah, foreshadowing. It's a, it's a great retroactive payoff. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I love how we open with how sort of casually he's treating Molly. Like, she she says this thing about how she, you know, they're trying to get her out of the house and, and it's kind of, like, ghostly and, and echoey. Like, it doesn't feel yeah. very human the way the way she just sort of says it out of no, for no reason. And Blake just sort of casually just like, yeah, they're trying that with Rose now. Yeah. Like, you, you, like, it almost feels like he's just sat down to have a coffee with her or something. Yeah, he's um, treating it, it with not the right level of uh, gravitas <laughs> that it demands. Mm. Um, and then Blake brings up this interesting point. So Mag sort of talks about how there's pressure on her because she's getting calls from other people to go and yep. attend to other stuff. And, and so, that, you know, that's just lumping even more pressure on her in the middle of this shit storm right now. Yeah. Um, and Blake 
sort of mentions like, oh man, I could, I could never do what you're doing. Mm. And that's even with like, you know, Rose and, and the thorns out of the picture, mm. um, which the like is really interesting. Cause I think the, the similarities and differences between Mags and Blake, are sort of a big thing in this chapter, especially considering where it ends up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think like, this is sort of an important difference between them is that Blake could never be like Mags is so tied down yeah. and, and she and has she's no at people's beck and call, which yeah, feels she, like, yeah, she, she has no control. It's just not a free position she's in. And Blake has that need to be able to, to move and to be free of his own accord. And he just couldn't do what she, she is doing now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting point. And I think the, the theme of Blake and Mags' relationship is an interesting one because it kind of, I mean, I I didn't necessarily get this vibe, but I get the sense that the way Wabo wrote this arc so far, you kind of expect Blake to become Mags' familiar. I feel like that's the impression I get from the end of this chapter. I don't know if I was expecting him to actually become her familiar, but like I wouldn't have been incredibly shocked if the idea was like put yeah. out there by the story. Yeah. Um, like for sure. Um, and, and yeah, and I mean, but I think like. Almost from the very beginning, this story's been drawing lots of parallels and and highlighting differences between these two. Yeah. Um. But like, I feel like a lot of what Mags went through in in Signature, even tied into, you know, what Blake went through in Void and in Null. Um. You know, but there were, you know, it's obviously different. It's not yeah. exactly the same, but there are a lot of parallels. No, for sure. Um, between those journeys, and so yeah, like I think. I think the the story has for a long time sort of been comparing and contrasting uh, these two. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. I I I so that's a thing that kind of eventuates throughout this entire arc. Um, and mm. a theme that I like throughout this chapter. And this is a complete <laughs> different topic. Is uh, Molly's ghost be- becoming sentient? Right. I I think yeah, definitely at the start of this, Molly is still an echo. And at the end of this chapter, Molly is sentient. I mean, even I'm saying that, and you know, I I'm not a fan <laughs> of ghost sentience. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I I agree. We can sort of track throughout the chapter. Like you can see that she's getting like smarter and smarter, and she's able to think on deeper levels as the yeah. chapter sort of goes on. Yeah. Um, I think that starts with Blake validating her because he continues to do that. Um, and she mentions <laughs> this interesting little nugget that Granny Rose didn't pick her first, um, in the context of being an heir. I'll, I'll read out the quote. Blake says, with that kind of attitude, I can see why grandmother would pick you for first heir and custodian. I said, she didn't, Molly said. Um, and this is an escalation, right? This is the first time that Molly actually responds directly to something that someone says. Um, before then, she's just kind of, she's responding to kind of a single word in a sentence associating it with something, but she's never actually responding to a statement before, which I think is interesting. Yeah, well, she's never done a direct response. It's always been that ghost echoey thing where she says, she like repeats a line that's somewhat relevant. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But this is like a direct, coherent response to yeah. exactly what Blake said. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I don't think this is the huge reveal in and of itself. Like, I think yeah. e- everyone probably by this point has suspected that, like, Molly was not a genuine attempt by Rose Senior at an heir. Yeah. Um, we've always sort of 
suspected she was the sacrificial lamb, but what we get here is confirmation that that is true, essentially, uh, and no further details. We're sort of teased with it. <laughs> yeah. and, Blake, and tries to, Blake tries to chase down details, but Molly does not give any. No, exactly. Um, I mean, all she sort of says is, uh, you know, you can't make an omelette without break- breaking a few eggs, right? And then she, like, glares at Blake yeah. and is just like, enjoy your fucking omelette, which is a great little uh, line from a semi-sentient uh, ghost that hates <laughs> you right now. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, she's obviously in a bad place. She's clearly mm-hmm. a lot of rage and a lot of loneliness. Um, it's a good line, though. Uh, so- Blake continues to press Molly about, you know, the the air situation and just what's going on. Um, but during this conversation, she vanishes. And Blake surmises that similar to the way some of the other ghosts have done, she's probably gone to a different point of her timeline. So suspecting that it's the memorial, they go back to her grave and she's there next to still grieving Irene and Callan. Um, yeah. And of course, like for me, it was sort of like, oh, these two again, like they're just everywhere. But then we were told last chapter they were coming back here, so, like, uh, I'd just forgotten. And, of course, you know, then, then you sort of, once you're like, oh, yeah, like, of course they're here. And it's just sort of, oh, here, here we go. Like, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, but, it, it, you know, it's it's something that doesn't feel contrived because last chapter it was explicitly set up that they were coming back here. I feel like we're becoming more and more like the residents of Jacob's Bell in that we're conditioned to see any Thorburns in the story as bad news. Um, because it's, as soon as you see them, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to go bad. (laughs) Yep. Um, and you see Molly and she's clearly a bit more sentient. Um, I want to read out this paragraph where Blake is looking at her and seeing her realize that she is dead. And Blake thinks Molly hadn't lost a child. She'd lost someone she'd invested 18 years into the person who had had a hand in every bit of joy she'd experienced in life. The one who was supposed to create her legacy herself. That is very good Mm. writing, and it really sells the idea of Molly realizing that she is dead. And how do you react to realizing you're dead? You just are shattered. Like, it's there's no other response. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like, the the context of that paragraph is before that he talks about how, like, how, like, grievous um, Irene is, you know, because, like, losing a child is horrible. And then it sort of goes into, but, like, losing yourself is... (laughs) Even worse, and of course, you know Blake and Mags w- would know. Yep. Um, so, like you're right, it's a really sort of good way because, like, everyone can sort of empathise with the idea of losing a child and how awful mm. that is, and then why, well, like, that is used to pivot to, and Molly's kind of going through something which is probably even worse. Yeah. Um. And while we're on the topic of Blake talking about losing a child, is it just me or does it feel a little? Like, the way he represents it feels a little cold. Like, he says it as, and I, I don't know, this is a continuation of Blake being a bit numb, right, I guess. Blake says, they'd lost someone who lit up their life, which, yep, sure, fair. But then, who they'd invested countless hours into, who was supposed to carry on their legacy. I don't know, I mean, like, that's that's true, and those are valid reasons to be upset at, at losing your child, but it does feel a little bit like... like comparing a child to a kind of nest egg of sorts which is a bit (laughs) it just feels a bit off to me i I don't know because um like compared that to like remember we sort of went through this with alexis like he was sort Mm. of thinking that alexis was upset that he died because she was true he was her project like i think that is just sort of how blake sees the world and i mean you know given the environment he grew up in 
Mm. Um, I can or didn't see. Grow in. <laughs> uh, well, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> you know, I can see how he how he got to that that sort of thinking. Yeah, maybe that's right. But I I kind of in my head prefer to see it as Blake is an other and numb in some ways that mean that that was kind of always there. As in, it's not a product of him being raised it's a product of him being a, an other to an extent that made him numb even before even before that was revealed i don't know maybe it's a pointless difference but um yeah yeah maybe it wasn't an impression i got but mm. it's probably in there because that has been a very heavy theme of the arc so far yeah um any anywho uh so molly's ghost continues to affect callan and irene um and mags and blake are obviously aware of this and so mags starts walking forward to try and take action before the ghost can influence them too much um and it's brave like it's this she's talking about how this is something that she's had nightmares about like having to confront molly's ghost while her family is there is pretty horrifying and she knows that it's going to go badly because blood fire and darkness of course it will go badly and she does it anyway it's it's very heroic um yeah it's uh, you know, it's the it's the definition of bravery, really. Um, this is understandably one of the worst things she can imagine, and she yeah. barely even hesitates. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, Callan and Irene are not, you know, not taking too kindly to Mags <laughs> being here. Um, they saw her at Hillsglade House last chapter, and so they've kind of put together in their heads that she is an opportunist who befriended Molly and then rose in order to get the money and is now trying to talk to them for that same reason yeah and you know you gotta keep in mind that molly's aura is contributing yeah. to this well yeah um, of course you can't you can't feel too angry at them for this although i like that that's the first thing they think like it's a very thorburn thing to think of like why would she be here <laughs> oh of course she's trying to get the money that uh, that's the only reason anyone would do that <laughs> uh yeah you're right you've written that they're just projecting here in our notes and yeah. i really like that phrasing yeah. like that that's uh, i reckon that's spot on yeah um and this is i'm like mags is doing badly in this situation right because yeah. there's enough of a seed of truth in some of the things that they're saying that she kind of is afraid to lie but she's also really bad in this in this moment because of the stress of it and the emotion of it She's really bad at doing the practitioner worming your way out of it, kind of pretending to tell the truth, but not actually, you know, kind of deal. Um, and yeah, so she all she can really do is kind of stand there and take, make half-hearted attempts to try and, like, help them get away from this and just totally get shut down. Yeah, I mean, I was actually quite impressed with her for not trying to worm her way out. Like, she mm. doesn't try to make excuses or anything. She's just, like, she's trying to be honest, but not, like, too honest obviously yeah. but um i i thought it was kind of noble of her to just take it it is noble but it, it feels noble in a bit of a naive way where she's taking the noble way but that's really not helpful right here like what she really needs to do is find a way to convince callan and irene to get away from molly so that she can deal with right deal with i molly. mean that, that that's true i don't think that was ever going to happen though but um like, <laughs> yeah. you're right she, I, she, she she could have been looking for it. She does do quite well in the situation. She does like she doesn't do well overall, but given the context, you know, you can kind yeah, of forgive yeah. it. Um, and then there's this moment. I heard Molly speak as Mags put her foot on the slope. You ordered the goblins to kill me. Callan moved as if a thought had just happened to come to him. 
With the angle of the mirror, I could only see a slice of him, but everything in his tone of voice made it very easy to imagine his expression. Incredulity. Is it guilt that brings you back here? <laughs> I love this moment. Um, probably one of the most powerful moments in Pact so far, right? Because we've had the theme of Molly uh, affecting people around her, and she says this, and immediate, you know, immediately the next line is Callan moved. And it kind of, then there's a few more sentences before it, it, it lands with him as he's kind of processing it. And you see it, you see it unfolding as you're reading and you know it's going to be horrible and you know that it's just coming like a train and you can't look away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great delivery um, of this concept. And again, it's like another escalation in Molly's yeah. capabilities. Uh, she's yep. not just sort of passively sending out ghost auras. She's like actively yeah. influencing those she, around her. She's incepting more or less. Yeah, basically. And I mean, um, I guess I'm jumping a bit ahead in my notes, but like, because something I, I so the first time I read through this, trying to figure out how Blake had activated her or whatever. And, and mm. I actually don't think Blake is what set her off anymore. I actually think it was the extended Thorburn family. And I mm. guess we'll go into that more as we get there. But mm. um, like, I, you know, the, I think this is her sort of piggybacking on the connection between them and, and manipulating it and becoming wraithy. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I, I, I guess we don't really know enough about how wraiths work to to kind of see what is the formation process of one. But I, I get the sense that we're kind of seeing it play out here, right? Where it's power fed into a ghost, and then negative vibes fed into that ghost, and then it just becomes a, I don't know, a really negative <laughs> ghost. I don't. Know. <laughs> um, but I like it. Yeah. Um. Cool. So, so Mags, kind of is shutting down as Callan, with Molly whispering in his ear, is kind of tearing into her. Um, Blake here is able to help Mags pull out of her slump by kind of whispering in her ear, and she says just the right thing in order to get Callan to back off a bit. And, I mean, it's it's very reminiscent of how Rose used to be with him. Like, this, yeah. this for me, called back imagery specifically to uh, when he was summoning June, and Rose kind of had to... Mm. speak through him yeah feed um, him the words bit. for it yeah 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 it's an interesting moment because uh, like we've been pretty harsh on blake lately throughout this arc as he becomes more of another but uh, it's nice to see that he's still i feel like his heart is still in the right place from this section yeah i mean i did just compare him to what rose used to be like so yeah but rose also her heart's in the right place i'm sure uh, maybe it used to be <laughs> yeah um probably not maybe (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so well i mean obviously now that blake lives in mirror world the connections that's not the right word the comparisons between him and rose are (laughs) very apt um and i think this is a Mm. good one but i I like i like us getting to see it through him and mags rather than him and rose because yeah if it was him and rose there would be this sort of context. undeniable, yeah. or like, like be, the, or the, the explicit changing of roles would sort of make them more aware of it. Whereas yeah. Blake is just sort of seamlessly slotted into the same role with Mags, and yeah. only a couple times himself sort of notices that he's doing the same thing she used to do. Yeah, yeah, no, it's nice, it, and it's more, it's a more subtle way to explore concept yeah. of Rose not necessarily being the villain, even in the way she acted when we see those same choices made through Blake's eyes. Yeah. Um, so Callan and Irene back off and Mags gives them space to finish mourning, but, you know, and then they leave. Uh, after they leave, Mags and Blake prepare to bind Molly, but before they do, she approaches them. Yep, and, uh, she just lays straight into Mags. 
Yeah, I feel like we're in parahumans because there's some really uh, strong fear and doubt auras coming off here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Molly, again, has uh, leveled up. She is very lucid. You get the sense that she's kind of fed off of all this negativity and she's ready to fuck shit up. She is here. She is more or less, I, I wouldn't say sentient, but she is awake um, and she's here to fuck with mags. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here we see her specifically, like, strategizing and, and like, picking up Mags yeah. in targeted ways. Yeah, uh, and so Mags is obviously quite out of it. Um, as Molly is talking to her and accusing her and, you know, uh, uh, attacking her verbally for now, uh, she hmm. she's still pretty racked by guilt and um, isn't able to stand up for herself or chooses not to because she kind of can't. Feels guilty. Yeah, exactly. Um, Blake is trying to convince her of the argument that ghosts aren't real people, which good job, Blake. But, um, <laughs> even with that, she, she's not really able to do anything. Yeah. And again, like, I feel like this ties back to the Rose comparison because he has to be the person who's one step removed and has to be like, you know, uh, what was that Rose quote? Um, where it was just like, oh, this, you know, this bullshit isn't getting to you, is it? Like, that's <laughs> essentially what he's having to say. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um... Yeah, like I just like that comparison because he he kind of has to force himself to be the one to be like, oh, you know, I like Molly, but this is more important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, and it's uh, I don't know, it's interesting. You're right, it is it is an inversion, and I don't I don't quite know how to feel about it because I do feel like Blake is like uh, Blake was the guy who who uh really cared about others and stuff before and now he's coming to the other position but he's also an other at this point it kind of <laughs> it feels like i'm not sure whether to feel like blake is sliding down a slope and becoming rose because he's an other or there's other stuff going on uh i'm not sure yeah i feel like there's i feel like there's just going to be a lot to it you know it's not going to yeah, be a you're simple right. yeah thing. um you can't quite i feel like i can't quite put my finger on what it all means or yeah or how how it's all going to come together yeah um so molly says to mags hey you killed me so in exchange i'm going to take your body <laughs> which is i guess <laughs> one step above you killed me so i'm gonna kill you right uh or one step below it's different at least well it's a more environmentally friendly version <laughs> yeah, it's of you killed me i kill you <laughs> yeah um of course if mags doesn't give her body willingly molly is going to take it yes yeah uh it's a real uh blood fire and darkness moment uh things are getting worse and worse for mags which is great <laughs> So, yeah, because I want to talk about that, because there are a number of times in this chapter where Blake specifically says stuff like, uh, I've pulled one quote out here that's from a bit later, but he says, I think this is your prophecy at work. It feels just a bit too contrived, pieces falling down in a very specific way, A leading to B leading to C. And I just, mm. I, don't, I don't know if I see that. I, I don't know if I agree here on this, because... Like, I'll admit, this is, like, a situation that very quickly gets out of control. Um, but, like, I just wonder if Blake is too used to having excuses for stuff like this. Um, mm. Like, Jacob's Bell is, you know, like a powder keg already. Um, it just doesn't yep. seem that crazy to me that um, this is just bad shit that's happening because there's so much, like, negative energy going around town right now. I don't know. Like, I don't, it feels weird to believe so readily that this is specifically Bags's uh, prophecy trying to come about. 
Yeah, I, I get. I do kind of have the same vibe to an extent where since Jacob's Belt is a powder keg, like anything could kind of set off a chain of events that would lead to some really bad shit. So it's not mm. necessarily Mags's prophecy's fault. But exactly. I think even that, like, even if her prophecy is kind of exerting a small influence because of things like Sandra having brought the Thorburns into play to fuck with Rose or whatever else might be going on, it's enough to it's enough to tip it over the edge. So it's like Mags's mm. prophecy isn't responsible for everything, but even the small nudging that it does in that direction leads to, I don't know, a chain reaction of bad shit. Yeah. I guess I just don't understand then, like, you know, she's in the middle of this town being involved in so many things. Like, if all it's taking is little nudges of her prophecy, then they're fucked, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they've gotten closer and closer to the edge over the past few weeks because Rose is back now and Blake's back now and everything's kind of getting really high tension. So mm. <laughs> the closer they get to the edge, the smaller of a push it takes to get over the edge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So Molly draws a rune and uses blood to activate it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this is, again, a big escalation because she's retained practitioner powers uh, and she's aware enough to remember how to do magic. And she also has blood, which is great. Yeah, I mean, she really becomes a, a very serious threat at this point because now she's uh, using magic. And, you know, we learn very soon that it's not just her power that she's using. No, it's Mags' power. And and not just that, not just is she kind of remembering how to do magic, she's aware enough to see Blake, recognize, hey, he's a threat that's moving through mirrors, I'm going to use magic to banish him to, to cut off that connection. It's it's very kind of, it is like next level thinking. It's not like genius level thinking, but it's better mm. than what she was doing before. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Molly's getting worse, banishes Blake, and kind of reveals to Mags that Mags formed a connection with her, and that connection goes both ways. Molly is now fueled by Mags's, uh, you know, energy, and he's using it for practitioner shenanigans. Um, <laughs> and so they have a small showdown that Blake isn't able to see or hear all of because he gets banished. And mm -hmm. by the time he gets back, or Mags gets back to him, Molly has disappeared. Um, yeah, and I mean, so mixed into this bit while Blake is waiting for Max to come back is like uh, him checking his wounds, which sort mm. of reminds you what bad shape he's in, which, you know, we're about to go visit Faisal, so um, it's it's sort of mentally preparing us for that a bit, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Mags continues to remind us that the pressure's on her because she's getting more and more calls from people. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting, because, like, do you remember back in Arc 4, when Blake started calling Fell, and Fell was like, that's really not cool to have your being tugged like that. <laughs> yeah. And and Blake actually had it happen later, and it was awful. That seems to be the way everyone's calling Mags. Yeah. So, like, she's just going through that all the time, apparently. I guess, good thing she doesn't have much self to be tugged. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's obviously a lot of things going on for Mags right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, it's just really, like, it was the first time it kind of clicked for me that this must be, like, a very unpleasant job for her in that way as well as all the others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they don't know where Molly is. Magza pulls out her notebook and does the old Sandra Duchamp ink in the pen trick, <laughs> which is great. I love seeing it again. Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great recurring bit. And, you know, it sort of introduces it. Blake's introduced to it in a very passive way, which I like because yep. we already know what's going on. It's just such a cool trick. I'm glad she remembered it. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, she kind of asks for things that Molly would have a connection to, which Blake starts supplying. 
Her, her younger brother, cool, family, okay, that's fine. But then Blake starts getting really negative, which I like. He, he mentions the goblins that killed her, Laird, Sandra, Granny Rose, right? And these are all things that, if Molly's going to those, it means some bad <laughs> shit's really going down, right? Which I like. Like, Blake is trying to mitigate the rampage that he thinks Molly's ghost is going to go on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, of course, she ends up picking extended family, which isn't necessarily a rampage, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like Blake's first thought, which which I think makes sense, is like, oh, it's it's like going to be feeding frenzy time uh, if she's feeding yep. off negative emotions as a right. Yep. Um, Blake decides that they should split up. Mags chases after Molly while Blake decides to cash in on these favors that he earned last chapter and visits Faisal. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that like he doesn't meet Johannes here, like at all. Yeah. I, I wonder what that's... I guess Johannes is probably busy. He's, you know, he's got a war going on. Yes. Um, um, and it's worth remembering that Johannes doesn't remember Blake. Especially now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, especially now that Fezal has taken his memories of Blake. Um, yeah, but it is interesting because this must be the most autonomous that we've seen an other be, right? Uh, sorry, a familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes sense because we know that Fezal is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to read out a line here, which I really liked, where Faisal says to Blake, Will you walk with me? He said. I rather like walks, and I'd like to stretch my legs. I raised my eyebrows. Because of my role as a gatekeeper and a being that supervises travellers and forges paths, not because of my canine body. <laughs> which is classic. <laughs> a little too defensive there, Faisal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this is packed, Faisal. It's both. Uh, yeah. um, he, he wants a little walkies. That's all right. Uh, no, it, it was funny though, because like he said this and I was like, I can't imagine a dog saying this to me and me not making a face. Like, <laughs> yep. it's just, it's too good. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> um, so, uh, Faisal agrees to, you know, pay back Blake for what happened last chapter. First, mm-hmm. nourishing Blake, kind of revealing more about what's going on with him. Um, Faisal seems to indicate that Blake's emptiness is even worse than we thought. He's uh he's really basically a yawning moor of of desperation and spirits are rushing in to fill that. Um but Faisal nourishes him by giving him kind of more of himself, more of Blake as a human, as a way to kind of get him a little bit further away from just being a full on other. Yeah, and, and so I think like we, we all we always sort of knew that Blake has been or or even like possession after he drained himself right back in the police station was always sort of you are draining some of yourself. Mm. And spirits have to come in to shore up the gaps, or they don't have to, but they they like to. Yep. Uh, and and Faisal kind of implies that the gap that uh, Blake has is sort of will need constant nourishment. Like it's not yep. that he can just sort of get filled. It's like he's constantly sort of devouring the spirits that come within him. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of like a constant turnover or a need to devour more. Yeah. Um, which is like. You know, I can see why other people would want to target someone like that. Um, <laughs> that sounds pretty scary for a being to be built around. Yep. Um, I mean, and so then, so my understanding of what happens here is Faisal's basically gone around to Johannes and a few, like, others mm-hmm. and pulled out their recollections of Blake because the um, the connections were so tenuous that the memories survived. And then Faisal sort of manifested these memories and Blake absorbs them. He ate them. He totally well, eats them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's a weird way of eating them because they fold around him. It's like reverse <laughs> eating. Well, yeah, true. Um, but I mean, like that's 
that's just so cool. Like, I love this yeah. uh, imagery of him feeding off the old recollections of him because, like, a, a big thing we've been talking about um, since he came back is that he can't just become his old self. Like, he has to sort of forge a new version of himself. Yeah. And he's doing that now by sort of eating the memories of his old self, like, w- literally forming his new self by wiping the old one out mm. of people's heads. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, and it suggests a path where Blake goes around eating his mem- eating other people's memories of him as a way to sustain himself. Yeah, it's a very weird precedent to set, for sure. I had the same thought. Um, but I like it. it. It's very thematically relevant, right? Where Blake is literally desperately struggling to kind of stay closer to his old self, but in doing so, <laughs> distancing himself from the people that kind of keep him tethered to that. I don't mm. know. I suspect, actually, I'm, this is going against what I'm going to say in a little bit, but I suspect that by Faisal taking away other people's perceptions of Blake as who he used to be, there's probably a bit of an unhelpful vibe to that. Like, it probably feeds into him becoming more other if people don't see him as who he used to be. Yeah, I, I can see that, yeah. But apart from that, I think this is very great. Like, I think <laughs> I think Faisal is really being a real cool guy slash angel. Um, him and Johannes both are just a bunch of helpful folk. Yep. I know, they are, and every time they do it, it makes me more suspicious. <laughs> this yeah. other shoe, it's going to drop. It's very high up right now. This is, like, going to be a 40-foot shoe drop. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, going to happen. We'll see. Uh, so, after being nourished, Blake decides to kind of abuse Faisal's endless generosity here by asking for two favours instead of the one that he's owed. The first favour he asks is for Faisal to help corner Molly so that they can actually bind her instead of having her escape continuously. And Faisal agrees to this by agreeing to kind of force her down a dead-end path so that she won't be able to escape if they can have her move. Yeah, and so it's interesting. This has been a bit of a recurring pattern with Blake recently, um, at least with Faisal. Uh, like, he did this last chapter as well where Faisal was like, oh, I promise the uh, IAs won't like get in your way anymore and he's like i need that promise for every one of johannes's things and phase i was like no um, of course not <laughs> yeah. and blake just sort of is like okay well yeah you know, fair you, enough <laughs> you know you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take yeah. um and that sort of feels like what he's doing here but uh i mean you gotta you know it's always risky especially in this world to, to sort of push people like that mm. uh well, and he's just he's i don't know he's, he's done it a few times now i'm wondering this if this is a, a sort of pattern that's emerging yeah, I mean, when it when they're all so friendly to you, why not? Why not go for <laughs> it? I think Blake's just not used to things going his way, honestly, and doesn't know where to <laughs> quit while he's ahead. Got to um, take advantage of life without bad karma, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so this is an interesting thing. So Faisal can't shut off a path to Molly because he is a path creator, right? He's a path maker. And I really mm. like this because... It's it's such an interesting piece of writing because really Faisal could have been like yeah I can close off paths like whatever and we as the audience wouldn't have you know it would have been fine it would have been you know it wouldn't have been anything out of the ordinary but the way that Wildbo does it, it kind of instead of just taking that simple way out he finds a way to interpret what Faisal does in a way that achieves the same end goal but but gets there in a more kind of logically consistent and real way that feels like there's just this nice internal logic of how this universe works it's so like it's so satisfying to have this weird piece of logic that pays off even though it goes to the same endpoint. it just like feels more real yeah it's like just this extra step of care to the world and, and yeah. the world building uh that really makes it feel 
more developed and and thus like more real. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I agree because like yeah, it it would have been fine to just have Fezal be like, yes, I can do that. Yeah, but exactly. It's even better to have him be like, I can do it, but it has these weird conditions that you know when you think about it actually makes sense. Yeah, and and it leads to a more interesting situation, right? It that's a a little beat of. Yes. Oh, yeah, I can do it, but you need to have Molly move. And then so what happens is they have to force Molly to move a little bit later on. It's just kind of, it. it's the little intricate details like that that lead to it feeling so much more real. It's something that I, I, I love about Wild Bo's stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Blake gets his first favor and pushes his luck, asking also for Green Eyes to be summoned. Um, and yeah, Fizzle yeah. can't just give away a freebie. Uh, so Blake offers in exchange something kind of i mean he doesn't really offer anything he just kind of says hey i know how to defeat this demon and you're an angel and uh, angels don't like demons so i'm probably gonna go kill it so is that worth <laughs> anything and Fezal's like yeah i guess <laughs> um i like how this segment sort of comes up or like er comes up in conversation after blake is just uh, takes a mental note as he's walking with Fezal about how the world bends before Fezal and you yeah. know, this this physical form that he's taken of a dog is the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. uh, of, of how powerful and, and sort of, you know, large Faisal really is. And, yeah. of course, that ties back to, you know, what about what we learned of uh, in, uh, you know, the end of Arc 7. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, it makes Faisal, uh, Faisal quite intimidating. Yeah. Um, yeah especially as Blake is put, like, pr- putting the pressure on him. It's interesting because I, I feel the same way about Johannes and Faisal, right? Like, I feel like they could at any moment just completely fuck shit up. Like, fuck yeah. you up if, if you're talking to them. And you get this continuous vibe from them that I, I, even though they're doing more or less generous things and treating everyone kind of quite nicely in the end, um, within reason, um, it just leads to this weird tension where you just can't feel like you can get behind them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Faisal agrees to this uh, and says to Blake, you'll have your two favours, he said. The second in payment for what you have lost in the fighting of demons, which I just want to say, again, generous. I mean, like, uh, Faisal yeah. doesn't have to give a shit about what Blake has lost fighting demons. Like, why? it's done. Who cares? But Faisal is just a nice, pure, kind, generous, good boy. And, yeah, um, how, how generous of him to do a small favour for Blake after Blake lost everything doing his fucking job. Yeah, Faisal um, doesn't need to give a shit about that. Faisal didn't ask no, Blake to do no, that. No, I, when I say his job, I mean Faisal's. Faisal's no, an I angel. No, I know, I know, but like, you know, he, he he doesn't have to care about that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know. Blake, Blake lost everything doing this guy's job, and Faisal's like, oh, I guess I can look for your friend a little bit. Mm. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not going to give him too much credit for this. <laughs> I, I, I'm really not impressed with the angels and where they stand. Um, yeah. Because that's something Faisal sort of brings up. Uh, like, he mm. talks about how, apparently, if an angel and a demon of equal standing uh, go toe-to-toe, the demons will win. Yep. Which um, kind of makes me question where they're pulling equal standing from. Mm. Um, yeah, I like- guess by definition, that means they're not on equal standing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I think this has interesting uh, sort of ties to the, the sort of wider world of, of Pact. Like, you know, we've talked a lot about how people aren't proactive at all in this mm. world and, and they let things fester and we kind of see like yeah the angels are basically doing that with demons like everyone else they're sort of yeah. like oh you know we can't really take them in an even fight so we're just not going to do anything right now and you know hopefully like 
entropy won't win for a really long time. Mm. Um, like yeah, it's so great. I, <laughs> yeah, I I like the the way the conversation goes after that though, where Blake and and Faisal kind of talk about humans being more on the side of the angels than of the demons, and that kind of maybe being enough to tip the scales on the side of good with a some capitalized or uncapitalized G. I'm not quite sure. Like, mm. I, I think that's an interesting attitude where that kind of indicates humans are whatever born of the angels or whatever side the angels come from in this seemingly unwinnable war maybe they're enough to tip the scales i mean usually in these sorts of urban fantasy type things humans have this sort of special place as the kind of wild cards um yeah. and, and like that's sort of the vibe i'm getting it like impact as well so it's sort of like you know as long as humans choose the side of the angels which like you know choose the side that doesn't kill you i guess um yeah kills you less um <laughs> so yeah um like but you know humans is the sort of the the thing that can change the balance of the scales like everything else sort of has its place on either side and humans are the ones that can sort of choose where they stand a little bit Mm. yeah no i i get that i i just it doesn't feel maybe this is just because Faisal is an angel so he's kind of assuming that humans are on the side of the angels where he shouldn't but i do kind of feel like it just it, it feels like there's more of an association with humans than than and angels than with humans and demons, which is just an interesting spin on what I think you're mm. right is is a fairly common kind of vibe. Yeah, um, yeah that's fair. Yeah, no, I like it though. It's it's good stuff. And I mean, it, it ties into what Johannes was saying to Mags about uh, how humans are winning. Mm. Um, you know, he had that whole speech about how humans are multiplying and taking power away from the others. So maybe it ties into all of that a bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. So, uh, Faisal has given Blake everything. He's very generous. And as a little bonus on top, I mean, this is part of the deal, I suppose, so it's not really a bonus. But anyway, Faisal sends Blake to where he needs to be, a cafe. I shouldn't say a cafe because it's the cafe. <laughs> um, the cafe with, with all the Thorburns in it, uh, including Molly up the back. And Mags is there watching through the window, planning how to get inside and how to get Molly to move so that she'll be trapped by Faisal. Yeah, Blake never actually explains that that's a deal he set up as far as I can tell. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, I love, I love how just everything we see about the extended Thorburn family in this cafe, they just emanate anger and hostility right? <laughs> aren't they the worst i love it <laughs> like it's just they're just they generate such a shit vibe yeah um and uh, like this was the point where i was sort of like uh i don't think blake had that much to do with activating molly like his connection to her probably <laughs> isn't that strong yeah. i think it's all these fuckwits being back in town yeah that really fed her full of all that negative energy because sitting in this cafe you can definitely see that yeah, I definitely um, feel like we've been feeling a bit sorry for Irene and Callan over the past two chapters, which is fair. But God, seeing these Thorburns, you're just like, fuck these people are pieces of shit. <laughs> I mean, they just, they make themselves and everyone around them miserable when they're in big groups like this. Like, yeah. they just need to, you know, Blake Blake had the right idea running away, um, or Rose had the right, I don't know. Someone had the right idea of running away at some point. I So I guess they don't have the negative karma of the Thorburn line because they're not practitioners, but I, it kind of would make an internal kind of sense to me that they just cause, they like radiate misery wherever they go just because of the Thorburn blood in them. Well, when you're raised by someone with the bad karma, 
Yeah. Like, it probably just sort of, you know, they're having bad luck all the time and, and generating, like, a shit environment, and that just yeah. rubs off on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that it's at this cafe as well. I mean, it, <laughs> it's referred to as the cafe, which can only mean it's the same cafe from when stuff went down in Arc 1 with Laird, um, which I love. It's just a fun little environment callback. Yeah, I mean, you know, cafe and Jacob spell, terrible, terrible thing to be, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's not the right place to start a small business. Um, so Mags comes up with what I don't think I can refer to as a plan, but I'm just going to call it a plan anyway. Uh, and she heads in and starts just stirring shit up with Ellie. I mean, it's more of a plan than most of Blake's plans, I think. Like, she yeah, seems to have a pretty simple idea of what she's going to do when she gets in there. Um, but I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, and Blake calls this out a bit later, but this is Blake having a go at being in Rose's position where Mags is just like, <laughs> I got this. I'm not going to tell you what, just, just like, I'm, I'm off. And just Blake's just me. left standing there <laughs> being like, wait, what? Yeah. And then of course her plan seems like an objectively terrible idea when she first starts doing it, but it does end mm. up paying off pretty much perfectly. Um, and I love that she kind of goes in there and starts playing the part of this, you know, violent, whatever. Um, but, and she's clearly kind of playing into that role, but also it just feels like this is just her excuse to vent about all the horrible emotions that she's feeling at the moment. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, she's exactly, she's got stuff to vent and so it's easy for her to play the role. I agree. Um, like, I just love how, how max and how gobliny this plan is to just run in there (laughs) and like yell and throw shit. Like it's, it's so simply uh like crude and effective i love it yeah it's classic uh and i um, think the best bit is that molly molly fucking loves it like i think that's what really sells how hilarious and like crude this plan is is that like apparently molly looks delighted that ellie and mags might be fighting like she's just like yeah i hate these i hate these two go at it <laughs> yeah she's just enjoying the show yeah um, sets her up as a real villain at the moment too yeah. yep uh, until during this shit stirring, Mags grabs a salt shaker and throws it uh, towards Molly slash Ellie, obviously aiming to hit Molly with it, uh, which it before it does. Molly kind of disappears because salt pure bad. Um, mm-hmm. And Molly's moved on. So mission accomplished. Mags kind of calms the situation down a bit, uh, starts backing out, gives some money to the cafe for damages which thank god Mm -hmm. this cafe has some good luck finally um (laughs) and the cook also throws out the thorburns which good move yeah two birds one stone yeah (laughs) yeah um i i definitely see a post on the uh packed version of tales from retail subreddit uh in the future (laughs) yeah um the extended Thorburn family would be regulars on that moment as they make their way around the country all the jacobs bell redditors are well familiar with their stories um (laughs) Anyway, so Molly's moved on, and Mags and Blake track her back to Hillsglade House, where they find her and start to bind her. It's interesting that uh, Faisal stuck her here. Like, I- I'm trying to figure out why this is a dead end for her. Like, I mm. think he sticks her around the side, and then maybe, like, the house being in the way blocks her from going any- to any of her other haunts. I, I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, found this a little be. confusing, but I was, like, I mean, it's. It's a great place, like thematically, uh, for for us. So, like, I'm just, I'm just struggling <laughs> to understand how it works in text as well. Yeah, um, I love that this is where it goes down because they pass by Rose. I want to read this out. Rose was standing on the porch with Alexis. She pointed at the side of the house. 
was like, she doesn't even say anything. She's very laissez-faire. Just like, oh yeah, you guys, the ghost delivery people. Oh yeah, back around, back around, back. Like, I mean, I, I just imagine her looking real pissed as she does it. Like she's just, <laughs> yeah. just this like vibe of like, yeah, it's over there. Go sort it out, you dumb fucks. Like, yeah, I, I don't have she, time for this. <laughs> she probably thinks they've been what like Scooby Doo chasing this ghost yeah, exactly. all over town. Just like, yeah, get it over with. Yeah, um, like which, I don't have time for this. I'm very busy like making deals with the devil, literally. <laughs> yeah. With the devils, um, because it wouldn't just be one. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Mags uh, traps Molly and they finally kind of hash things out. And I want to read out this line um, where Molly says, I'm filled with so much awfulness and there's more every minute. I know it's not me. Every instinct I have is telling me that the awfulness is for you, that I should make you feel it, make you hurt and angry and frustrated and hopeless. And this is the line where I'm really like, okay, Molly is sentient. Molly is real. Um, Mm -hmm. She was aware enough to feel rage before and to do practitioner stuff, but now she's elevated to a level where she's actually able to recognize what she's feeling and kind of rationalize those thoughts around that and and kind of put together the – I mean, like, it's basically a human level of, of rationalization here, right? Like, she's definitely sentient. No, exactly. That point where she can recognize her emotions and think around them yeah, uh, really sells that she's essentially back on, like, human-level thinking. Um, yeah. And, and, like, you know, rounds up the chapter. And especially because this is something Blake and Rose are also both going through. Uh, Blake is being affected by, you know, his- Yeah. All the spirits in him, the fact that he's another, and he's, you know, having to come to terms with these changes in his thing. Oh, it is like personality. And frankly, he's not doing a very good job so far. No, he's not. And you know what? Neither is Rose. So I kind of like that Molly, in this very short spare of time, has done a better job than either of her uh, cousins Mm. uh, in sort of recognizing that something is affecting her and overcoming it. Um, And I think it ties in thematically to what Blake and Rose are going through in this arc. And, um, you know, I can't help but hope that she can rub off on them a bit. I have a question for you, Elliot. How long was Molly the heir? It was four months, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was four months. So, I don't know about you, but I definitely kind of, for the first part of the book where we've, where that information has existed, I've kind of in my head thought, well, that's not a very long time. She didn't last very long. Oh, it's um, only been like yeah. less than two months <laughs> since then. Yeah, exactly. So, I kind of like... Because obviously that took place, that four months took place in half of a chapter for us, while yeah. th- these two months has been... 10 arcs, right? Uh, like, I feel like maybe we're a bit too harsh on Molly because she she seems to be able to do okay. I mean, this is just a ghost version of her and already she's able to rationalise around her emotions better than the protagonists we've seen. Um, well, that's the thing. She was too smart. Like, she, she didn't get anything done because she's smart enough to just sit in the house and do nothing. Yeah. Which is, like, yeah, really the best true. thing you can do with the Thorburn karma and uh, skill set. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Molly, I like her. Would have let's flesh out those four months a bit more. We'll do a, a packed prequel where Molly's the uh, protag, but she just sat in the house and then died. Yeah, be <laughs> thrilling. Yeah, can't wait. Um, anyway, so uh, Mags apologizes to Molly, and they start talking. And Mags kind of knows that she's never really going to be able to make it up to Molly. This is what she's been struggling with as long as we've known her, as long as we've known that she killed Molly. But as a way to kind of start towards redemption, she asks Molly to be her familiar. Yep. And I mean, 
this is fantastic. Um, mm. As we sort of talked about, uh, uh, the story has been comparing and contrasting Mags and Blake a lot throughout um, the whole story, and they've gone through a lot of things that parallel each other. And he she's kind of paralleling what he did with Evan. Like, this is a very similar pick for familiar uh, to to what Blake did, but for very different reasons. Like, they've both mm. picked. Like, I, I, I'm just going to start calling Molly in her current state a soul. Uh, like yeah, Evan, like a sentient ghost, right? Yeah, exactly. Like at this point, I, there might be a technical differentiation there, but like they're they're effectively the same thing. Yeah. Um. But like Blake chose Evan out of this sort of mutual respect, and um, like you know, he just felt uh like a connection with this kid who yeah. helped him, and you know, he went back at a calm time to connect with this kid, whereas you know, Mags is doing it under pressure and out of guilt. But yeah. There's just so many similarities there between what they've picked as their familiars that are like I can't help the, but also see them reflected in each other a bit. That's a yeah. poor choice of words considering Blake's situation. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's it is an interesting connection, right? The ghost familiars, but uh, Blake obviously chose a more naive familiar, not you know in the traditional sense of the word, but also just kind of a, a more naively. Op- optimistic familiar to match who he is or at least who he was at the time whereas mags is is trying to survive and trying to redeem herself for a, a life kind of defined by mistakes so far yeah. right um a, a, a practitioner career definitely yeah true least. um i mean yeah and of course you know evan came with cool like escaping and speed boost powers because he was mm-hmm. full of like wind spirits and escape spirits and freedom spirits and all that uh molly's currently filled with anger and negative energy so well if um they could be a good combo because presumably molly can uh make things more likely to be killed by goblins and then mags just six goblins on them it's a it's a one-two punch <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just hoping mags could maybe reinforce molly with something that isn't <laughs> negative energy <laughs> no uh, molly's molly's main power is vulnerability to goblins <laughs> Anyway, Jesus. <laughs> that's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> no, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how this manifests, right? Yeah. Um, I want to pull out this line where before Mags makes the offer to Molly, she looks at Blake and she says, sorry, Blake. And Blake says, it's okay. And they presumably share a piece of information there that we can only guess at. But I, I, the guess I think that we intended to, to make is that she's apologizing that she can't choose Blake as her familiar. And he kind of not... He kind of knows that that's what she is about to do. He knows that, and he says it's okay. So presumably, this was something that was in both of their heads. Yeah, it is a bit of an implicit communication bit here between the two of them, which um, I mean, is interesting. They're both people who've really struggled to work with others, and, and yeah. they're doing a great job with each other. So, in a lot of ways, it doesn't quite make sense, but yeah, it, it also totally does. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's even more to it. Um, like I can't. I'd be interested to see the uh, public reaction to her taking a Thorburn as her well, familiar. Yeah, right. Because um, a chapter or two ago, she was worried that she was being seen as Team Thorburn. And this isn't yes. maybe the best move to make if that's something <laughs> you're worried about, Max. Yeah. So, um, I, like, I'm worried that she might know that this is something that's going to start the blood fire and darkness, but she just feels like morally it's something she has to do. And that's also mm. partially why she's sorry. I guess we'll see. Um mm. I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting implications to this in every way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely there will. Um, and that's the end of the chapter. It ends with 
with uh, Mags making the offer. And I guess we're kind of assuming that Molly's going to say yes. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think there'll be more to the discussion, but um, I mean, it's a good option. And while she's thinking as lucidly as she is, hopefully she'll recognize that. Mm, yeah, um, this is an interesting chapter. It's a very dense chapter. It feels like a lot happens in 10.4. Um, there's a lot of things going on. In fact, it, it. I mean, I'm looking at our recording time now, and this is, I think, the longest non-interlude chapter we've done so far. I think it's going to be the longest uh, chapter we've done oh, gosh. so far. Uh, like, uh, the longest episode uh, at this rate. But, uh, y- yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's like a very disjointed chase scene yeah. escalation of Molly from a kind of... Uh, passive threat to villain to like you know misunderstood person to um, potentially ally <laughs> yeah uh you're right there's there's a lot in here um even though like yeah by, by word count or anything it's it's not a super long chapter um and like i i think sort of to to tie it into the sort of themes i think the arc's talking about as a whole uh there's a lot of stuff here about people being influenced by auras like yeah. we also talked about like molly is having that impact on everyone else and as as I sort of already said, Blake is going through that. Rose is going through that. Um, yeah. Molly sort of goes through it and imparts it on others and comes out of it much better than either of them. So, yeah, very interested to see how this chapter sort of fits into the whole arc, um, you know, once we get to the end of it. Yeah, you're right. I guess people kind of not being quite able to trust their senses is an interesting through line or, you know, they're kind of being a bit off, you know. Um, it's something that that feels like it's it's been very prominent in this arc, um, at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, it's worth pointing out, you know, malafide bad faith. It means that uh, <laughs> y- you kind of have to be wary of any deals that are made in this arc. Uh, so, yep. entering into a uh, a familiar relationship, there might be some strange stuff going on here. Or having a dog angel feed you bits of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. True. Um. um yeah. I. I don't quite have the tinfoil hat on yet, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the end of our discussion of Malafide 10.4. But before we leave, it's been a while since we've done a discussion question, and I really wanted to get some uh, theory crafting going in our, in our discussion threads again. Um, I remember a long time ago when Blake and Evan first met, there was a lot of discussion about the form that Blake's familiar would take. Uh, and we eventually found out a bird. Um, which obviously was very thematically relevant to Blake. And so now that we have Mags and we have Molly and they seem to be entering into a familiar relationship, I'm very interested to hear people theorycraft about the animal form that Molly will take as Mags is familiar. I'm interested to hear kind of animal characteristics that people feel apply to Molly and Mags as we know them. Um, So that's our discussion question. What form will Molly take as a familiar? Two mags, I think. Like, two mags, yeah. Because I think that relationship, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, obviously, there's some influence that mags will have on the familiar that Molly... Yeah, like, you know, I could, see, I could see Evan being the familiar to someone else where he takes the form of, like, a, a mouse or, or a rat, yeah, you know, or something else there that was, scurries. Like, a small monkey was one that was suggested for Blake's familiar, and I, I yeah. can definitely see that being something that fits Evan quite well. Kind of like a... Uh, uh, what's the monkey from Aladdin called? A poo? Um, a a boo, I think, a with, boo. with a B. Yeah, a, like that kind of style definitely would fit Evan. I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're not talking about Evan here. Stay on track, Ellie. <laughs> we're talking about what form will Molly take as a familiar to Max. Um, so leave your discussion answers in the uh, discussion thread. 
Uh, where can people find that discussion thread, Elliot? Uh, you can find it in the show notes below. Yes, uh, it will also be on the Parahuman subreddit if you don't know that that's where they go. That's where they are, so <laughs> you can find them there. It's probably just easier to, to uh, use the link wherever no, you're no, listening no. to this. Type in HTTPS <laughs> colon forward slash forward slash. Uh, no, yeah. Um, uh, so actually something that we should plug uh, is a big thank you to Kaya Can who puts together a list of all of our past discussion threads as well so if you're interested in catching up in previous discussion question answers or even just what people were saying about previous uh, uh, chapters you can find a list to all the previous discussion threads so thanks Kaya um, yeah, in fact, I actually got some notifications from uh, someone who was catching up to like 7.10 a few days ago. Nice. Um, so there are people sort of working their way through and visiting those threads. Yeah. Um, so, awesome. you know, you know, don't don't feel like you'd be the only one there. Yeah. Um, yes. And of course, uh, you know, Deep Impact, even though this episode is quite long, uh, as far as the Doof Network goes, we're quite short. So if, you, <laughs> if you're looking for more podcasting content... Head yeah. over to doofmedia.com. Yeah, uh, Do the Right Thing has really been climbing up there in hours. Um, <laughs> it's a great show and one that I really love, but man, it's like two and a half to three hour episodes now. It's really it's really getting up there. Um, but that's, yes. that's great. All the more enjoyable content to check out. Um, if you yeah. want to check out more enjoyable content, go to doofmedia.com. Yeah, well, and actually we should plug uh, MediaMD just came out oh, yesterday yes. as yes. well. And um that's that's on the shorter end. So if if the yeah, other things are too I much for you, that's I think the shortest you. episode, the shortest show on the network. So yeah. we get that award. Um, actually, <laughs> the, uh, on on that episode of Media MD, which just came out uh, yesterday, I believe, mm-hmm. um, we're talking about Dollhouse, which uh, we we do get into a bit of an ethical discussion about Dollhouse's version of our ghosts people, <laughs> which is our humans people. <laughs> Listen to the episode; it'll make more sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, that the pick of Dollhouse for MediaMD was specifically uh, sort of in response to the argument we had about Johannes's domain in at the end of Arc 8. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, I think there's some good synergy there, and, and uh, it's a great show, so you should check it out. Yeah. Um, now, of course, our episodes are only getting longer, which means that you are only having more and more of our great content to enjoy. Because we joined the Doof Media Network. Um, so if you want to take an active part in making all the episodes of things that you listen to longer, then you should go and support the Patreon uh, because Doof Media is a Patreon-backed network. So if you want to make the episodes of things you love longer, go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and donate some money. And you get other perks beyond just we talk about things for more time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just just as one example, uh, like, you know, the Discord has a bunch of channels and there's actually a packed live reads channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Jay Maniac, whose videos I think we've talked about here a couple of times. Yeah, they've been mentioned um, on uh, We've Got Ward as well. Yeah. Uh, so Jay's been doing a live read of, of Pact, uh, and, you know, it's, it's like an arc or two behind us right now. Yeah. Uh, so slowly catching up, but um, they're, they're actually really fantastic. And um, Jay's picked up a bunch of stuff that I didn't notice um, and I've really been enjoying it. So like, it's just, just those live reads in and of their self. If, if you're, you know, if you still want more packed content after this very long episode, uh, you know, join the discord and check those out. Yeah. To, to put the jokes aside for a second, like, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about joining the Doof Media Network, and one of the reasons I was a patron before we joined as a show, is there's there's really there really is this great community, um, a supportive community that that doesn't just discuss these things, but engages in all kinds of interesting discussions and talks about all kinds of cool things, and and it really is a yeah. a, a, a very wholesome 
place to spend time. Um, so, you know, if you want to be a part of that, uh, it only costs a dollar a month on the Patreon, the smallest amount that you can back us to get access to the Discord. Uh, so come and come and join us and have a good, happy, wholesome time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and of course, you know, if you want more, well, I mean, I wouldn't call Pact a wholesome story, but it's... Um, <laughs> it has its moments. It's, it's a very good story. And if you yeah. want more of, of stuff like this and Worm and Ward and Twig, head to patreon.com slash wildbow. Yeah, support Wildbow on Patreon. It would mean a lot, not just to him, but to me personally. So go, go for it. Um, well, you know, when you donate to, to Wildbow, you're giving the gift of Wildbow's works to everyone by keeping yeah. publishing uh, online, which is, yeah. you know, it's, it's community service in a way. Yeah, it, it's a hard decision to to take something that is a hobby to you and, you know, try and make it into a full-time job. And the only reason that Wildbow is able to have done that successfully is because of his patrons. Um, so if you want to encourage cool creative people to keep doing cool creative things, go support his Patreon. Anywho, we've this episode, I think we've, yeah, we're, it's going to be longer one. than an hour. We've finally done it, goddammit, Scott and Matt. <laughs> you, you forced us over an hour. Um our next episode, if we don't give up, because now our episodes are over an hour long, uh, our next episode will be talking about Malafide 10.5, and that will be coming out on Monday the 26th. I honestly wouldn't have picked this to be the chapter that I finally know, right? did it. God, it's crazy. It's not even an interlude. What the heck? <laughs> anyway, we'll see you next time, folks. See ya. See ya.